0: This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 860. Brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you... This is Josh Flanagan. I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. We uh, have returned at the turn of the tide (laughs) like Gandalf the White. Uh, This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 860. Uh, Here in the Ron Richards Memorial third chair is Dr. Ryan Haupt.
1: Hello, everyone. Ready for another journey around this little star of ours.
0: Kicking it science style, doing the podcast. Uh, We're happy to be here. It is the 18th. Year of the show. <laughs> oh, that was like that was like chewing. Have you ever had an MRI? You yeah. know, where they make oh, you yeah. drink like that chalky stuff. No, Saying 18th, for MRIs. what whatever it was, I had. They made me drink some stuff.
1: Where was this clip? No, Josh. not MRI. Yeah. The other were one, you, cat skin.
0: Josh, Josh, you across scan. the
1: border. Were you? Yeah. Ca-
0: where were you? <laughs> Listen, they said they said the shark fluid would help me. <laughs> anyway. I got a cat scan and you had to drink like this gross banana flavored stuff. And and I
1: hope telling people about the spoiler warning doesn't mess up your humors.
0: Well, the point being, yes, well, I have some bleaches on my legs just for the show. (laughs) Uh, The point is that saying 18th year of the show was like swallowing that horrible mixture uh thank you to everyone for listening uh we got to get to it uh pick of the week is what this is uh we we, each of us read a stack of comics one of us gets the job of picking what they call the pick of the week just because it's the year i'm going to tell you it doesn't mean it's the book they liked best is it the best book from an objective standpoint no it might be a terrible comic book but it touched you It moved you. It made you think of something. It gave you something to say again after 18 goddamn years. (laughs) We are Orion, which is less years, but it's still probably more than I want to think about. We are going to talk about that book, other books from the week. There will be a patron pick in which the the patrons uh, of iFanboy uh, vote. They pick the one they like the best. We will answer listener mail if we have time. There is a spoiler warning. In effect, we're going to talk about what happens in the books. You haven't read them. That's not our problem. Ryan, first pick of 2023.
1: Yep, I ran the numbers, and I can tell you objectively what the best pick. No, I'm kidding. Um, the pick of the week was Fantastic Four, Legacy numbering 696, the new numbering number three, which I actually think is relevant because of what Ryan North with his team of Ivan Coelho and Colors by Jesus Arpatov and Letters by Joey C is doing with the series where the first four issues, they've kind of broken the team up into their components, and in doing so, they are kind of demonstrating what makes this this family of adventurers such a powerful force when they are together? And I just think it's a really clever way to start a new Fantastic Four series. And this issue in particular is Johnny's issue. And Johnny uh, is on his own away from the rest of the family and is trying to have a secret identity for the first time, which is a new thing for him. And he's working a work-a-day job at um, a big box store. And he's kind of just taking everything in stride. He's like, okay, the Baxter building's gone. Reed lost all our money, but like, he'll figure it out. We'll get it back. I just got to lay low for a little bit. I just got to figure this out. And he ends up essentially getting into like a unionization fight with this corrupt boss who realizes that the Human Torch doesn't actually hurt people. Like, he, The Human Torch does not go around burning people alive or even letting folks punch him. Like, When people throw, normal people throw a punch at the Human Torch, he's able to control his flame so that even if they hit him, they are not burnt. And so this jerk of a man realizes he can beat the crap out of the Human Torch in front of everybody, and the Human Torch can't do anything about it. And so Human Torch, Johnny has to like use his wits and use his, really his charisma to find other ways to solve this problem because he knows he's not a genius scientist. He knows he's not a pile of rocks. So it, it was really cool to see Johnny in a situation where he thought he had the upper hand, he realized he doesn't, and he has to kind of come up with the alternative solution to um, the problem presented before him.
2: From a science standpoint... I mean, you really have to. For the Human Torch, you really have to let that go. Like, yeah, uh, there's so many things about that that don't make sense. Like this guy, this guy who's on fire standing next to people and not cooking them inside is something you just have to overlook. But I, I had I had a really hard time with the idea that he could punch the Human Torch in the face, make his face you know pancake, and he wasn't burning himself. I was like, well, I mean just I, I let it go and i really enjoyed the issue but after at first i was like it, I mean, he's, he's punching the flame
1: yeah. with his
2: hand like it's okay
1: i mean you can punch well, a flame if you ever go camping like <laughs> do a little jab
2: he's not punching through the, the flame he's, he's punching into the flame face it was just it's like,
1: johnny's skin hot probably i would assume so well
2: even if his skin isn't hot
0: like it gives you a question about like what it is he's controlling because there's heat that comes off those flames even right. if he turns off that spot. If if there's a stove and there is a hand-shaped part of it that's not turned on that I can touch without burning myself, the heat around it is still going to affect me. It's going to make you uncomfortable at the least.
1: I think the thing about this that rang true to me is the idea that Johnny would go out of his way, put himself in harm's way to prevent burning
2: normal sure. people
1: with incidental use of his power. So even if the way that that manifest and like how do you consciously control that when a, a fist is flying at your face like that i agree warrants further explanation it doesn't warrant it for explanation but it could be further explained but i just the, the fundamental premise of like yeah johnny would avoid burning people alive
2: and, and the funny thing is i mean i mean i will get off this in a second because the the way they draw him now versus the way they used to draw him and they, there's a page in here there's it's page uh 10 of the reader old,
1: old school yeah with the lines where he's
2: like you know old johnny had some flames coming off him new new johnny has a fucking inferno around him at all times
1: practically the phoenix
2: and so it's like guys tone the fire down if you want me to believe he doesn't actually burn anything
0: did they resolve the superheated i'm trying to remember how that yeah they ended. did
2: the, the, the nova johnny got resolved in the last issue of okay Death so
0: so this way that he is cuz i was thinking like they're drawing him awfully super flamey i mean like everything around like here's the thing like they're the conceit is that he really at all times is in ultimate control of and I think he says the heat not the flame uh because you know just in that room you know with the beef and everything like I thought oh it must felt great in there I, I genuinely <laughs> was like because there's huge slabs of beef hanging I was like oh delicious but like you know I, I gotta say just like I liked this issue yeah. I had I had intangible issues with it like I felt like I loved the last two issues, and I. Well, sorry, he says he controls was,
2: his fire to within a hair's breadth, not the heat. Right, which I guess is the same thing, but whatever.
0: Yeah, but I mean, he'd he'd have to be talking about the heat, otherwise, just you know, like a fire. It, also, it's well, like sparks, we see him,
1: like we we've seen him catch people and they're falling, you know, and he'll have one hand that's not on fire right. and the rest of him is on fire, right? But it, you and, always and have to overlook that, with Johnny.
2: yeah. Yes, totally. It's just when you the, the, when you the, focus on it, it's like any, any comic book thing. You yes, can overlook any apart. silly thing, but when you focus on it and make it a plot point, then it becomes glaring. Then you then, then the reader starts to think about it, and you go, "Wait a minute!" But well, the, and then I kind There's of
0: wonder—I wonder if that's a, a good or a bad thing. You know, like in a normal story, like in a movie or whatever. If you have to stop and think about it, you're screwed up. But in comics, when you stop to think about it, that's almost like a feature, not a bug. When you're
2: trying well, so to it's, work, it's the Grant Morrison like, thing. You don't want to think about right. the things that don't make sense too much, otherwise it all falls apart
0: yes but also like as a reader especially as an old like it's kind of fun as long as you don't let it ruin the story that you're doing and right. and you get to do what we're doing right now and like punch at it a little bit like it's fun like ryan i know you've talked a on your podcast and like about you know how does superman's power really work and it's not a trying to punch a hole in a it thing it's just or like we talk about gravity in star wars or something like that it's established that we enjoy the story that's
2: not ruining it but it's just a little fun aspect again mean, at the end
1: of the day we have it. to have something to discuss
2: but also sure. the fi- my final thing is if if he never wants the flame to hurt anybody, what good is he then?
1: Well, I think like that, when he the, a, and that when he shoots a bad guy
2: the, with his flame powers, what is he doing then? If he doesn't so hurt that's the guy I think that's the premise of the story here is
0: that which is funny because I kept thinking about it as a reading, I was like, so he's really completely ineffective because he's not that smart. And he's like really like at the end of this, I was like, Well, what good is he? He wants to do the right thing, and there's places right. that he can And I think that might have something to do with the fact like, I didn't love this. I liked it. I really appreciated what they were going for. And like I said, I loved the last two issues, but I don't know that they nailed it for me. Which is to say I I didn't enjoy it. In the
1: books that I was considering this week, it was either like heavy, dark, like, oh, God, everything's going wrong and war is terrible, or this issue that well, was kind of don't, fun. You don't,
2: where... don't have to justify it. Never, never no, justify no, no, it. No, not just n- I'm, n- I'm,
1: I'm just saying. I'm just saying, when I came time to make the pick, I thought about, like, this is the book that I, in terms of what, you know, it, it, this is the book I had the most fun with. Like, when Johnny reveals himself to the staff, they're like, yeah, we all know you're Johnny Storm. You talk about why the Human Torch is awesome more than anyone we've ever met. He's like, like he's a limbo? nitwit. Yeah.
0: Like, he's a complete nitwit. I, I, I like, like, he's a mimbo. I don't know if that's yeah. still a thing that we we use, but it's a himbo. and I don't know that I I don't know if I like that, but I I, I respect it. Does that make sense? It's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was bad. I enjoyed reading it, but I it didn't quite hit all those buttons for me. Like what is for you? You're saying it was fun. You liked the scenario. Like that was that was your that was why you picked it.
1: And it kind of showed that like of the four of them, Johnny's thing is like he has this immense power, but his. You know, his ace in the hole is sort of he's very charismatic. And even if he's a, a himbo right. that is too cocky, people still like him. Like, oh, it's Johnny, you know, right. Like he's in real life, this person could be very annoying. But
0: I think I think they write him almost too annoying lately. Like he like, like yes. I feel like when he was young, that makes sense. But he's been around a while at this point. You know, morons in their 20s pretty, you know, can mature in their 30s or whatever. And I know we don't want that in comics. So again, this is sort of goes two ways, but I, I feel like he's a little too, like he should know more by now. Like his sister's super smart. He's not,
1: they're not drawing him super young. Like he's drawn no. as a in shape superhero, but he's drawn as like a fully adult person in probably, their, right. you know, early to mid thirties.
0: And, and, and like Peter Parker is written as a full fledged adult now, not an old, per- you know, but like an adult, a, a person in their thirties, you know, young thirties or something like that, self-assured, still with doubts or whatever you know like if if this was i feel like there's movies about this like every buddy comedy has the one character who who didn't grow up enough you know and that's that's guess john that's what they're going for with johnny now i i I guess i i I don't know that i don't like it but it feels like i want to i want to respect him more and i'm not sure i do
2: well you have to be okay with him being a he's a he's a kid he's the he's the younger brother he's always going to be the that's always his personality that's his role in the group is to be the young impetuous kid
1: i mean i also feel like in the early days of, of ff maybe even within our lifetimes it was it was thought that like was, we talked about how like johnny is the most powerful because he's got this incredible flame ability and he can fly and he can do the nova blast but then there was this shift where everybody realized like oh if you actually explore sue storm's power she's easily the most powerful and so there, are the sort of maybe maybe this is just my own interpretation but sort of the mantle of like who the powerhouse of the Fantastic Four was has shifted and it is now Sue. And so Johnny does maybe feel a little ancillary. Well, especially
2: if Johnny's flame powers are purely for show, apparently. let him um, fly. Yeah. I, I, I like the issue, there. but there was, there's, I think there's too much unraveling of the character here, um, mm-hmm. for their possibly their own good. The next issue, we're going to find out finally what happened and why they're in trouble and why they're broke and why the backs are building blown up and all that jazz. But I, I think the first three, the first issue was pick of the week. I think Josh said on the discussion of the second show it would have been his pick of the week again. So this is, you know, it's been an interesting and different oh, run yeah. from Ryan North than we had with Dan yeah, Slott. It's, it's still enjoyable. It's a,
0: it's a great uh, um, diversion from what Dan Slott was doing to sort of look at it in a completely different way. And I appreciate the, the thought that's going into these. Like, how can we do it? I like the structure. Like, let's spend time with each of the characters. Some shit's gone down. We're going to bring them together. It's a great tone. It looks great. I'm not dissatisfied at all.
2: It occurred to me while reading Gotham City Year One Number Four that uh, I don't know how long this is going.
1: I had the same thought. I think this was, you know, in the running for pick of the week until I realized it wasn't the final issue. I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore.
2: Well, I don't think it's bleak at all, but I think uh, it, this feels like the, the the reveal at the end of Act Two. It, act, so is this a six issue miniseries? I don't know. That they may have, maybe I mean, they've said, King. but I haven't seen it. The Tom King doesn't normally King. go that 12. short, but. Well, he's got shorter.
1: I, I was behind on issues on this, Connor, so I had to catch up uh, this week. And so I the the dead baby is fresher for me, so it feels a little Dead bigger. baby's harder for parents. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh this is no, this is six issue miniseries. So this is this right. is the end of act two.
0: That's good. You know what? I thought I thought this might be the end too, and and then I, I realized that it wasn't and I was like, oh, yeah, we need a little more. I'm good with that.
2: Well we we just had the reveal of who's behind everything, so we still have to that's, that's what usually happens at the end of Act Two. So now you've got the final act to resolve it. But I still think we talk about this a lot with this book. Is that uh, Phil Hester's doing incredible work here, and I oh, really find career the, stuff the the interesting uh, panel and page layouts to be the to be the thing that I find most rewarding from him. It's you know these giant. There's a lot of black and white. That's a make sense in a noir comic, but there's a page ten. It's like a giant. You know, uh, what's, what's Mister Wayne's name here? Uh,
0: Richard. Richard.
2: Richard Wayne in the background. He's a dick. He's doing this interesting. Things I've never seen him do before, and I don't know if that's in the script or what, but I find what the visual look of this book to be fascinating.
0: Yeah, that page uh, uh, 18, where Mrs. Wayne kisses Slam, and like in the background, uh, there's a bunch of It's the of previous panels. page. Yeah. Oh, is it the previous page? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I got to it going backwards. That is weird, though, because that is the part where he says, I'm 94 years old now. I was like, wait a minute, when has this happened? Well, I think right. the narration in the first is issue, him we saw writing that a letter yeah. to Brooks. He's narrating as an old man to oh, Batman. Okay. I forgot that, so...
1: Yeah, does this mean that Slam Bradley is Bruce's grandfather? Could be. Oh
0: shit! That was what I took <laughs> away from
1: this.
0: Um, possibly. Yeah, I think. I mean, that the the standout for me is like the story's good. I kind of always think I'm like I don't know if I'm excited, but then I read it and it's great. And I, but then and I about a third or halfway through each of these issues, I like, Who is drawing this? I forgot. And I, and I look and it's Phil Hester. I just like man. I hope this guy gets some real recognition for this work. Because it's a guy who had been more or less left behind by mainstream comics. They bring him in for stuff every once in a while. But this stuff, this is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and he's really good at different genres, too. I mean, he can do like straight up superhero action adventure. He doesn't do, uh, uh you know, Jim Lee, you know, Alan Grant kind of stuff. But he does this and he does this really well. You know, A lot of Darwin Cook here. If you told me this was Darwin Cook, you know, or an acolyte. You know, I would believe it. But I think he's just taking some of the stuff that that he does really well, and man, these pages are so good. The beating at the end, yeah, with the bat, end, like, that was every weird. time the bat makes contact, uh, the the light uh, takes over the figure of
2: Slam Bradley.
0: It's you almost know,
1: had like Frank Miller City vibes. Yeah, it's
2: yeah, a lot I mean, of it's those a heavy things. noir thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, it can be too cutesy in the hands of a less talented writer. In that, right? You know, the place where. Slam beats the commissioner half to death and changes the course of Gotham City to become more crime ridden. Is ends up being Crime Alley, and you know, it can you can wince at that. Unless, but the problem is, it's so well done that it's okay. And
0: and it can be cutesy because it's a comic book. Yeah, you know, and you know that's a a thing to keep in mind, even for us as readers. Also, like the idea of him <laughs> beating this guy half to death. Who he says isn't really a bad guy. <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's I, well, there rough. was a
1: previous there was a previous issue about like you know there was a murder and then the person the obvious person confessed immediately and it went through that like six or so times and said you know the murder rate in Gotham is way lower than Metropolis and I think what I realized in this issue is like oh none of those people were guilty the cops are just beating confessions out of everybody mm-hmm. so I think he is a bad guy.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, but they. <sighs>
2: He wasn't a corrupt, guy. Is what you're saying, right? he, was, yeah, he, was, he wasn't. He wasn't corrupt. At. He was actually trying to bring crime down. He wasn't taking money from. Anybody. Wasn't
1: corrupt from the mob, but was still not doing police. No, he that, wasn't, that's my read.
2: Well, but he wasn't corrupt in that police. he was in the way that Gotham City police are usually portrayed as being corrupt. He was actually trying to stop crime, as opposed to other commissioners like Loeb, we see in the future, who aren't actually trying to, try to stop crime but profit off of it. So that's what that's what he's saying, that's what Yeah, he it's just about.
0: it's more of that gray than the black and white. Like, yeah. I mean, he kind of was acting like all cops ever acted you know for you know a hundred years uh that's kind of the deal but he, he wasn't he wasn't an, he wasn't a villain in that straight up sense it's great right, and as soon as in he goes away toy. then
2: he says crime goes becomes out of control in Gotham and has right. never been under control since so
0: so it's less safe less safe as a yeah. result of that and then that's a and then that's a that's a great thing to do to slam bradley like he you know it basically was vengeance he was pissed right. off what he did to him, and he beat the shit out of him, and he's our hero, quote unquote. That's a great choice.
2: Yeah, I think this is still a terrific book, and I'm, it's interesting how tight it is. Um, on you know, six issues is very unusual for Tom, so it's, it's it's fun. Yep, I'm always excited to see when I see it. Doctor of Steel number nine. We are also entering into Act three here with uh, Tom King's, fan. not Tom Tom Taylor's and Mm. that happens to them in real life too tom taylor's fantasy book and this was great this was i thought the last issue was really really good i had this issue was really really good as well and it was a reveal i did did not see coming and throws the whole thing into chaos
0: i did there's it's the third to last page or no uh see it's page uh 20 slightly longer than normal issue is you just see they will look like us. Yep. Skrulls. No, Martians. (laughs) And then, so I thought that was really interesting. And then that last page where we learn that Alfred is not who he seemed is the absolute best thing about these kinds of series is that, and I've been saying that about this series the entire time, is that he is using the expectations of all these other Elseworlds things that all the characters are going to get on those same rails and go there with slightly different clothes on. Mm Mm-hmm. But here they're like, nope, Alfred has been Martian Manhunter the entire time. And you can't see that coming because you don't expect it. Because normally Alfred is, Alfred is Alfred is Alfred is Alfred, you know, right. and, and Jor-El is Jor-El. They're always going to be those same characters at the heart of these kinds of stories. But here he throws so much of that out the window. I mean, in this, Batman is Batman. That you not right. count on. Or, or you know, uh, Ollie and, and,
1: and Dinah. But. but he's half Kryptonian Batman.
0: True. Yeah, but he's still Batman. Like you're talking about the core of the character. Who yeah, this is? issue.
1: I don't know. I felt like I lost the plot a little bit between this issue and last issue. There's just there's a lot going on at this particular moment in the story, and um, the reveal of Martian Manhunter, while cool, is actually uh, there's there was a uh, Elseworlds miniseries that happened back in the early aughts called JSA Liberty Files. Tony mm-hmm. Harris drew it,
2: yep. and
1: they did a very similar thing where they kept hinting that the Nazis had a Superman. It's a it's a World War II era Elseworlds. And they kept hinting that the Nazis had this ubermensch, this, you know, and it was called like Yawn or something. And then it's revealed that it wasn't Clark, it was Martian Manhunter. So this isn't the first time in Elseworlds that I've seen the Martian Manhunter uh, reveal as a thing, which didn't diminish it here. But I feel like I had seen that before. And then mm-hmm. Ollie as an archer, just with one arm, you know, Dinah just being like, yeah, just use a crossbow. And he goes, okay, fine. Well, I don't... That... <laughs> what <laughs> nitpick but um, come on what self-respecting archer is just gonna be like fine i'm across
2: well he's got one arm what else is he gonna do this is only
0: use his teeth
1: like he did in dark knight returns
0: that's a good point i did like that but Thank then again you. you'd be like i already saw that in dark knight returns i know yeah
1: but at least it's still. Above. i think that you're, you're get, right you like you just
0: f- shoot the one arrow the first bit of this by the way any comic i read this week i was like i have no idea what happened before this <laughs> yeah. every single one of them like when i read the parker girls i was like oh shit like i had to go i read the entire issue before that Anyway, uh, uh the the first half of it, I was pretty lost because I, I like the character, but I think those are, like the like characters are like, what the fuck is going on here? And I thought that too. And then you know, you see it on that page twenty. You know, there's two Lara L's. You know, yeah, well, in the last on? issue,
2: Lara killed uh Hippolyta, and, and they were trying not to go to war, and she landed in the middle of the confrontation, killed the queen, and. Started the war, so that was...
0: Which was really disarming. Like, I remember that. I was like, what the hell is going on here? And so this issue, as I started to get myself back on board, but I I think it was done on purpose, and I think it paid off. Like, you're like, oh, okay, scrolls." I mean, why Martians? (laughs) I
1: mean, there was an issue of Secret Invasion that came out this week, Josh. I don't know if you're reading that. It was great.
0: I don't want to talk about it, but it was also great. Ryan Northbrook.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Well, it's all really hard to reload a crossbow one-handed, so I think Diana's bought him one extra shot at
0: most. Hey, it's better than I did have that thought. I'm not going to lie to you; I had that thought. I was like, "How's oh, he going to?" Don't worry about it, Josh. It's cool. They'll make a device. They got really smart people. There you They'll go. Figure something out.
2: Yeah, this this has been really fun. Um, I would be happy this kept going, which is, you know, well over the break we had DC versus vampires the and then I was like, oh, "I'm good with that. That's fine. No more of that." But yeah. But this is—I can this could keep going as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Batman, 131, Chip Zdarsky, and new artist Mike Hawthorne, which I think was my biggest problem with the issue, which I don't—I don't think he fit the story. Hmm. I don't think he was a—I don't think he's a good artist. I don't think he's—I think he was a bad choice. You well, talk this, about it. This I'm issue was so the end of the last issue, which was pick of the week right before we took the break, was that Batman was fighting that robot and it it zapped him with a ray and everyone thought he was dead, but really he was just zapped into the multiverse because now that the, now that dark, dark crisis on infinite earth is over, the multiverse has returned to DC. So he got zapped to a different earth. And, uh, this has been, this is two stories, Bruce on the new earth, which is, you know, different than ours. And then Tim and Dick dealing with Bruce possibly being dead again. And Tim and Dick not believing it. Um, and just that, and, the, and when you go from Jorge Jimenez, this incredibly dynamic, uh, fun, cl- you know, m- classic but also modern superhero work, Mike Hawthorne's a bit more, um, it's a bit more staid in terms of the art. It's not as powerful superhero. It's a, it's a very big contrast between the two styles. At and least it really-
0: it, he's gone to a different universe, right? So at least there's sort of a.
2: Yeah, I mean, but it's, not, it's not like he's only drawing that. It, it was, you know, it was fine. It just, it was a very, it was it was jarring to go from Jorge Jimenez who's doing some of the best work in comics overall to uh, Mike Hawthorne's doing, it's just going to pale in comparison.
0: Mike Hawthorne's a a, a, a yeoman of yeah. sorts. Yeah. Uh, a, a, an incredible storyteller, I think. So like when I'm looking at it without the context of that, I'm like, it is pretty good. But I understand what you're saying. Like, it, I actually it,
2: enjoyed the backup more, which Chip Lodresky wrote also in Miguel Mendocino 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 drew and it was basically about you know the fallout of Gotham City saying well Batman's gone we're gonna you know the Cuomo's gonna go crazy and it was Dick and Tim trying to deal with that so that was the second part of the story um I enjoyed that more than I did the main story which was you know Bruce is waking up in this weird place and he doesn't know what's going on he's gonna figure it out and
0: does Tim Drake feel like a more familiar tim drake in this this is this
2: has been a great tim drake through the whole Chip zadarski right
0: i honestly I, I haven't read it i just flipped through it and i saw there's a thing of him like jumping and looking intense and i was like hey that's tim drake because yep. tim drake doesn't strike me as a jokey character and in that other book it's kind of goofy and silly oh, yeah. but in this i went oh that's tim drake just from the visual
2: yeah no. Oh, this has been a great Tim drake the whole time. I don't know, Ryan. What did you think of this issue?
1: I enjoyed the issue. I was trying to I was only being quiet because I was trying to remember where I knew Mike Hawthorne from before or where I was first introduced to him because I, I like Mike Hawthorne's art quite a bit. And uh, I guess he did some some work on Queen and Country back in the day and I, he I did
0: everything, but yeah, he's been around I, forever.
1: Right, but I agree with you, like him on a Queen and Country book makes maybe a little more sense than him on a, a superhero book, but I found myself very compelled by the story, and as Josh pointed out, it's incredibly competently told. Um, you know, I liked the reveal of like a venomed out. Harvey Dent. I don't know who this character in the Red Hood is. Maybe he's a Red Hood type. But um, yeah. I, I hope we don't spend too much time in this parallel universe. But you know, it sounds like uh, we're not going to. If, if Chip, Chip has done a good job of keeping this story moving at a pretty good clip. So um, I, I hadn't been reading Batman until Chip came on the, the book, and I'm happy to now have been picked it up and become a, a continuing reader again. So yeah, I mean,
2: I like the parallel Earth stuff. I like the multiverse in general, and this is you know the same way that. Dark the, of Steel uh, Mr.
1: Bones, Jim Gordon.
2: Yeah, the same with Dark Knight of Steel is fun. You can have fun with those worlds, and and a Judge Dredd esque to you know, Venomed out Harvey Dent was was a fun foil for Batman here. Even though at this point he's basically just Bruce Wayne because his costume is all tatters and he's wearing a trench coat over it, and it's it, 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 you know the pieces are all there. I just didn't think the art fit, especially in contrast to the previous previous art. But it's still a good book. Honestly, guys, my pick of the week might have been Joe Fixit, number one from Peter David, uh, Yoldere Sonar, and I wasn't even necessarily gonna read it because, as we talked about with this whole resurgence with Peter David lately, that last Hulk, although the, the Fantastic Four book he did, which took place with Joe Fixit in Vegas, um, that, that's a hole in my Marvel reading. You know, the whole his whole Hulk run, but in particular his Joe Fixit stuff. I remember. At the time, you know, he was the Grey Hulk who could talk and worked in, in Roar Suit and was in Vegas and was a mobster because he would pop up in other things. I was aware of it. I just never read it, so I didn't know anything about it. So when when this book came out, I was like, oh, should I read this? I don't really know. And I figured, what the hell? He's, he hasn't really steered me wrong yet in this return to Marvel. And this, been, this has been incredibly good, incredibly fun. Uh, Peter Parker, Kingpin, and Joe Fix It All collide in Vegas. And I love the classic Kingpin with the ascot. Yeah, I loved. I thought his Peter Parker, Spider Man, was was really strong, and there was a couple of really funny visual jokes. And I'm into it. I'm into it.
1: You talk about drawing Peter like an adult. This guy's a hunk. Look at him.
0: (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) He really is like looks like an '80s. Maybe early 90s sort of Peter Parker, though. Sans mullet. He must have had a mullet at some point. Yeah, um, for sure. What's interesting is that um, when I first started reading comics, so 88 or so, when I was like 11, that was the Joe Fix-It time. Yeah. And I I didn't know comics. You know, like, I, I knew the, the ideas of the characters, but, re- like, I was getting into it and learning it at that point. And one of the first books that I was reading was Wolverine. And that, it was, like, Claremont, Buscema, Wolverine. And, um he was on one of the covers and I just thought I was like, wow, that looks awesome. like, that's the most I knew. I don't even think I knew what the mafia was. I didn't know that Mm -hmm. what that style was going for. I just thought that's really interesting. Why is he gray? You know? And I, I kind of thought it was cool, but I never really knew anything about it because it was too early for me to sort of get into these side version of whatever, but I've always been kind of, um, uh, interested in it basically. And so when this came and I saw, Yilre Sinar doing like a really competent uh different style like a like a you know like an early nineties late eighties kind of style uh, pre image boom style basically Because mm-hmm. he Yildare is an incredibly dynamic artist but he toned it down here in just the right way um for this story, and it was super fun and i and I have to say I sent this to Connor last night, but um uh the last page of the book uh there's a four page panel that goes down uh i'm sorry a four panel sequence. one of the thugs on either side of Kingpin in the back of a a limo points out. So you're bleeding a little bit. Third panel cracks him with the elbow, which is a wonderful storytelling. And the last panel his his neck is clearly broken and they're just sitting next to him quietly with this dead guy. And it's just, it's when, again, when we talk about comic book storytelling and we talk about, you know, setting a tone and doing the beats, uh, it's perfect. Like, that's exactly what I mean.
2: Peter Davis had health issues over lately. he had a a stroke and a heart attack and was in the hospital. so I'm glad that he sells books coming out because that's that's you know his income for him but I don't know when he read re- wrote this I don't know if he's got more coming out but as his, as we talked about with all of these mini series that he's been doing for the last couple of years, he's got it he's still got it oh. and his books are his books are incredibly well written.
1: And there was a nice little uh, one-page explainer of who Joe Fixit is, including a long quote from Peter David about his idea for creating Joe Fixit in the first place. And sometimes I find those a little tough to get through, but I I was really interested to learn, you know, Peter David's perspective on creating that character and then a little bit of the history of what's come before, so...
2: I mean, it's still, it's silly. They're all, none of them recognize the Hulk. Like, <laughs> yeah. At one point, when he, when he, like, the hat comes off, and you're like, okay, well, maybe the hat is throwing them off. But even even Kingpin's like, who is this person? I'm like, it's the Hulk. That's the best
0: part is that Peter says that he goes, "Why aren't you putting right. one and one together here?" I I, 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 what I love most about this 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 um renaissance, you know, of Peter David is that he's doing comics of an earlier style. But it doesn't feel retro-y. It doesn't feel. It's just good. It's like everything that was good about it then, and very little mm-hmm. of it that was bad about it then. It's not dumb. It's not insulting my intelligence. It's just saying let's strip this stuff down to what's fun about it. No, and, it's a, uh, it's a distillation
1: of yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Which which we're seeing, which we see a lot uh, in art. We see a lot of different styles. We're just talking about Phil Hester. You know the way that he draws. You can do that in art much easier in comics, but in the writing, it's really hard because people you know, label you as a throwback writer, But I think, I think he's riding that line just right. We, this should have been short, but
2: it was great. We had the wrap-up to Jean Luen Yang's Shang-Chi saga with Shang-Chi, Master of the Ten Rings, number 145 or number one or whatever, but if this is a one-shot. That I wrapped did not expect...
0: I thought this was going to be the next volume, and at the end of that, that's
1: why I put. That's why I put or also number one in the in the script because I I thought it was worth pointing out that they labeled this as a number one.
2: I thought it was the next volume because they 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 keep renumbering or retitling these volumes every six issues or whatever because it's probably maybe now they'll keep reading it. (laughs) Clearly not catching on, but. Uh, then at the end it said the end and I said, Okay, well maybe it's the end of that. And then the next page, nope, oh, it's it's the it's the essay the from essay. the writer.
1: The afterword. <laughs>
2: so the, the
0: essay always tells you when the book's over. <laughs> that's, the, that's how we know now. Now we know. <laughs> it's like that one little drum kick at the end of a song. You're
2: like, Oh, there you go. So I I thought this was this was a good issue, I thought. Um, it was. I, I was really into it. I haven't been into the entire twenty-four issues he's been doing here, but I thought this was this was a strong Classic, and I say that not knowing what a classic Shang Chi story is like, but it felt very classic, and it was it was a good one shot, you know, one and done story. I've it was right? a yeah. good epilogue. It left
0: yeah. us in a good place. It did one thing that was really interesting: is that it, um, it let us know where Shang Chi came from. In the sense, like the whole time, I'm like, why is he so good when everyone around him was so evil? His mom was trapped in a bug universe. His dad was like the most evil. And he goes back in time. You're like, oh, you see what happened. And, and what, one of the things that was really nice is that uh, there was two brothers and the, the dad's, I mean, it was not subtle, but his, the dad was like, I don't know what i do without my brother. You know, and earlier they'd said, oh, he's still around. And so without saying it, without saying, then he lost his brother and he turned, you know, they, mm-hmm. they let you know, but without spoon feeding you.
1: All we needed was a moment of Shang-Chi's dad talking to his mom, being like, huh, what a nice boy. Shang, that's a good name. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do that. Like <laughs> they could have
0: like the Marty thing. Yeah, yeah. It was close. Yeah, it was close, but he didn't. He no, held was back was on good. all those things.
2: Shang, yeah. should've, he should have called himself Calvin Klein. Uh, <laughs> it Yeah, I thought, you know, I I was thinking while reading this, I actually stopped and thought about it for a minute because these books haven't been terrific. And the the new Superman wasn't terrific, but Gene Luen Yang is a terrific comic creator outside of superheroes. And I thought to myself, maybe he should just not do superheroes because his talent lies elsewhere. But I thought at the end of it, I thought, no, this was a really good issue. He's very good at this too.
0: I really enjoyed it. I know what you're saying. It it isn't quite what you expect out of most of these, but if you can adjust, and it isn't all the stories he does, it isn't, but you know, there was a certain point where I got in the groove of this and a new issue would come out and I really enjoyed it. But before that, there was a point where I was like, well, should I keep reading this? Uh, And I'm I'm glad I did because I, I really dug the whole thing. Not like best book of the year. Just, you know, oh, this is a fun little story and it, it exists sort of outside that bubble. And, and there were interesting moral things going around the whole time. That's the right. other thing I think that was good.
2: Mosley, number one from Boom Studios. It's a new comic from, written by Rob Guillory, drawn by Sam Loft, Lotfi. And Lofty. Colors by Jean Francois Bellieu. Great team here.
1: Yes. That's not a typo in the script, Josh. That's, a, that's ter- transcribed directly from the book. It's Lotfi. Lotfi. Really? Have I been yep. reading it wrong forever?
2: Yes. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he was part of the i base for a while. I
1: think. I don't. I don't blame you for thinking I. I mistyped, but I, I double checked.
2: Sam Lotfi is terrific. A couple years ago, when I made that comic book for that my job, he was one of the artists on my short list to get on the book. Mm-hmm. Wasn't able to get him, but I ended up getting another great artist anyway. But I always have liked uh, what I've seen from Sam. Yeah. Um, this was interesting. I was super into it. And then I was super kind of not into it. Um, but I'm still going to read it, I think, going fo- forward. So it
1: starts off almost like an episode of Black Mirror where you've got this this family, you know, a father, a mother, and a young daughter. And the father is doing this some sort of experiment. And they're standing in a hangar. So I thought, like, he's going to space. It's going to be yeah. a time dilation. Josh is going to love it. But then it turns out they just drive him to some neighborhood. And it seems like he's supposed to spend a year raising this robot presumably training an artificial intelligence to be more human. And I thought we were going to sit with that for a while, yeah. but very early we jump cut to the future where he's an old, bitter, jaded man who's a janitor in a school and the robots are cleaning up piss and, and it became this whole other or refusing thing. to Or refusing to. Which, which is like the big giveaway. Yeah.
2: It's funny, you say Black Mirror. I was I was saying, oh, it's like the Twilight Zone. Because um, I'm old. So I love that part. I thought it was interesting, the idea that they there was this whole neighborhood of people who were trying to train AI, basically, to be more empathetic, be more, you know, understand humans. Basically, AI is here. We have to train it. And I thought that was interesting. And then all, we we right away cut to the dystopian superhero sci-fi future. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's less interesting than the first five pages were. And that was where oh. I had to recalibrate. And I still think it's interesting. I mean, there was some funny bits The the baby mugger was funny. Yeah. Um, and you know, the idea that this is the technology has, we is completely out of our hands and it's not, you know, we the idea of this book is we've given over society to, to technology and it's gotten horribly wrong for humans.
1: The issue ends with the main character, this Mosley guy becoming sort of a amalgam of uh, a black hammer, Thor, Moses and John Henry, because I right. think that him being named Mosley is intentional, because at one point, the, the entity that gives him all these powers as he's dying says, free my people. And it was very much a let my people go burning yeah. bush moment. So I think.
0: And Rob is is not like he's he's got a Christianity bent through his stuff. Uh, so, it's, it's
1: yeah. So I, th- I think yeah. there's an interesting thread there of sort of a Moses allegory, but escaping an AI controlled society rather than, you know, enslavement. Uh, that That to me, there's an interesting hook there.
0: I I find it difficult to separate myself from the creator because I'm so familiar with Rob's work over the years and I've I've spoken to him. And uh I found myself um yeah, I've done this before with with people who are known primarily for art and for a really specific style of art, a sort of cute, jokey, fun, great storyteller and all that stuff. But it, you know, it had a tone to it. And he he did farmhand, and this started him towards that where the but there was still jokey fun elements light elements in the art in the background even though the story was more serious than say like Chu was uh and in this like i was really impressed by the sort of next creative leap yes that he took I did think um that. and and uh and so that alone it's really interesting for me to read i thought it was pretty good i thought it was pretty good especially in a direction that he hadn't done i was like oh this is this is um pretty aspirational uh, it's a bigger story to try to tackle and i think it's he's doing it pretty competently it'll be interesting to see where it goes for me i think
2: yeah i mean you know for years and years we had we had fascist anxiety comics right
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then we we've had we've, <laughs> we've had we've had environmental anxiety comics for a while and now we have to, now we have technology anxiety comics coming from uh and not 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 that any of those were wrong it's just funny those are the trends that happen in, in comics and he even says it in the, in the essay in the back, like he's like, "I'm not a luddite, but I understand technology is—we're getting it completely out of hand with it." And this is, you know, what what his—he's working through his anxiety here, and yeah, I mean, I—I I, I was hoping we'd live with that, or maybe we'll flash back to it. I—I I thought it was a nice, creepy tone in the beginning. So and that part was interesting, though, because
0: tone. the question you want to answer is, well, how did this go wrong? He's a good guy. You know, like, he was telling them everything about it, but then you throw that into the machine, it gets jumbled around, and what pops out, you know, is what creates this future that they're in, uh, and, like, his, his daughter is all into it, and he's not. That's the only thing that I was, I was saying, oh, he, it's a dad who has issues with his family. That's yes. Rob. No, it's just that uh you know that's what Farmhand is largely about. I know that Rob is a father. He has a bunch of kids. I want to say he has 3 maybe 4 kids now. You know, this is the stuff that's on his mind. You it, I t- I did a talk split with him a few years ago when he was starting out Farmhand. And so, you know, you know, he's he's a little bit of a hard on his sleeve creator, I think. He's a lot of his personality in there and the things that he's thinking about. Um so, you know, that's his thing. Like like Rick Remender's thing is is self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The opening of this the the book reminded me of this. Uh, I know neither of you guys are horror movie guys, but there was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called *Vivarium* uh, with Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots, who's a very fun name to say and a great actress. It was, uh, but it, it
0: was fun to listen to you say.
1: Yeah, so the two of the two of them are a married couple who get like stuck in this neighborhood. They're present, uh, presumably going to buy this house in this neighborhood. It's very suburban, very samey, you know, pretty uh, ticky tacky little boxes. And they get trapped in this house and they can't get out. And then the next morning there's this kid there and they have to like raise this kid, even though they don't want to. And it becomes this whole, like there's a species that parasitizes on humans and it's creepy and it's fucked up and it's good.
2: Yeah. I, 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 I thought it was so different than what we've seen from and especially in the beginning. I was really impressed. It's like, Oh, he's doing, he's doing a really good, creepy sci-fi thing here. And it wasn't less good. It was just more standard after that. It's like, we've seen uh-huh. the, Techno dystopian future before there's even superheroes flying around somehow.
1: I think those so. superheroes are flying around in the metaverse of sure. Sure. My
2: point is like it just it felt more what I've read before. I suppose yeah, at the beginning yeah. where I was like oh this I is mean, different. I
1: mean it's it's uh,
0: it's uh, Snow Crash. Yeah. It, it's uh, Ready Player One. It's you know,
1: there's thousands. a story in Ted Chang's uh, comp- compilation Exhalation that is very similar has some elements of this of like raising AIs to be functional. So right. Yeah. But it's good. I, I will I will be sticking with this. Yeah.
2: yeah. You got to ask yourself why it's not an image book.
0: I, they paid him. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, yeah. I don't know that for sure. But, um, you know, image, you know, you're technically not paid, but a lot of top creators will get advances on those things. And I'm guessing they weren't willing to do that at the level that, you know, that he needs to pay for things. And so he goes to, is it boom? Yep. Yeah. You know, Boom's gonna pay for it up front. Not like you know, not like Vertigo used to
2: pay or anything like that. But you can probably make a living. Let's move on to Star Wars corner.
1: Yes, let us. Uh, Charles Sewell is still writing this book. Andres Genale is on uh, art. I actually was behind on issues on this, and I didn't. I decided not to catch up. I decided just to jump in and see what was going on because Star Wars famously has a. How nice far little, behind were you? Uh, more than ten issues. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty far back there. So, um, I just, but I did, yeah, but I decided just to go for it and cause I was like, well, it's Star Wars. There's always a recap page cause it's, they got to do the, the I think you text should read the
0: last issue or face. two leading into this were good issues and good concepts.
1: I will, I'm going to go back. Um, but the thing I, and I, I got far enough in the series for them to introduce Holdo. So Laura Dern's character from last Jedi, uh, and I'm not going to get into the last Jedi thing, but I'll say knives out of glass last one was great. And this the book, they're in some sort of weird nether space. And I guess the only real comment I have about this book is, you know, I think Charles Soule is still writing these characters well. But I think Andres Genelais' art is the simplest in terms of, like, cartoony style, quote-unquote, that actually really well represents the actors. Does that make sense, Josh? hmm Yeah, I think that's, yeah. He's clearly not tracing Mark Hamill, Lord Ern any of them, but they're recognizably those characters. I agree, and that's the way to do it. Yeah, so I just wanted to give some kudos for that.
2: Is the time frame of this book still between Star Wars no, and Empire? This is, this no, it's post. between
1: Empire and Return.
2: Yeah,
0: like Luke is in his like uh, I think he's in his black Jedi. Well, story. Hans
1: he's... Hans frozen in carbonite this whole time. Right.
0: Okay, you're right. Yeah. So we've been in between Empire and Jedi this whole time.
1: That's why. That's why Lando is with them and not Han. Um...
0: But uh, but you know Luke has Jedi powers now. He's he's functional. Uh,
1: They're in some weird nether region where the force doesn't work very well.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting concept, actually, I think. It's still worth it. I've been reading all these Star Wars books, just the, the main title. Every time I try one of the side ones, even if everything about it seems like I'd like it, I don't. So I stick with yeah. the main one. I stick with uh, Darth Vader.
1: Yeah, those are the know. only two I'm reading at this point is Darth Vader and Star Wars. Even yeah. if I'm a year behind. I will catch up.
2: If you're a year behind, can, you be, can it be said you're still reading the book?
1: Yes. It's it's a state of mind,
2: Connor. It's uh a state of being. So those are the books we wanted to talk about. But at patreon.com slash IFanboy, every patron who supports the show can vote to add a book to the rundown. It's called The Patron Pick. And this week, in our return to the show, we had three or four books garner almost all the votes. And the number the book that ended up winning won won by one vote. And it was Scarlet Witch, number one for Marvel Comics, written by Steve Orlando, drawn by Sarah Pachelli with colors by Matthew Wilson and letters by Corey Pettit. And uh I, I'm assuming this is a miniseries, but they don't tell you until issue two anymore. So we'll find out. They're trying to trick us into buying comics,
1: <laughs> and the patrons force your hand.
2: No, I'm just saying they don't. They 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 assume that no one buys miniseries anymore, so they don't tell you until issue two. So we'll find out if it's not going or
1: Russell Dodderman designs a hell of a costume. I'll say that.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's Star Witch doesn't have an anymore. She used to have a costume, but I, I, her stuff, as long as they, it's always in the same vein. It's always it always looked good. So this was the story of Scarlet Witch has basically a little emporium in, I guess, upstate New York that she runs with Darcy from the Marvel movies. And uh, anyone who is in trouble can, who needs her, opens the door and the door opens up into her store, the back door of her store. And then she helps sort of like a sort of like a magical detective. That's sort of the conceit of the book. And here's the town that's been taken over by the not purple man. And she has to defeat him. Um, I find with Scarlet Witch that the more I know about her, the less she makes sense. And it's almost better to not focus on her because then I start asking questions and and it doesn't make any sense anymore. Like, I don't... Her powers don't make any sense anymore. They just... She can just sort of do anything. Used to be the Hex powers and now it's like she can just recreate well, anything or do anything with their powers. And like I wanted. feel
0: like that was always the case with
2: her. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's always better to not have her be the main right. character because then you don't focus on it.
0: And and then in the MCU, they they landed on something and it's kind of made sense but then they added some to make the stories they wanted to tell work better. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know I feel like they've been stands.
1: Yeah, I mean they've been toying around with like the there was that whole thing in Avengers Disassembled when Stephen Strange says something about how like chaos magic isn't a thing. I've never known what Scarlet Witch's powers actually are. And now they seem fully to fully embrace the idea that like Scarlet Witch is way more powerful than Stephen Strange the Sorcerer Supreme of the world. And it, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, I don't she fully be understand. Yeah. Like how does that work? If the Sorcerer Supreme can easily be vested by a mutant with magical powers.
2: Words have meaning. Supreme means something.
1: It means it comes with guacamole and sour cream. <laughs>
2: So, this issue was fine. Like, you know, as a one shot story of her going to rescue this town, it was fine. It introduced the characters, it introduced their dynamics and their abilities, and, you know, did all the things you need to do with the first issue. Sarah Pacelli is very good. Uh, Matthew Wilson's very good. It did all the things that this kind of first issue should do. Steve Orlando makes comics. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know. There's some some writers I just don't respond to that, that are very popular, you know. Valuing those you know, Gail Simone, those kind of but Steve Orlando's another one who just I see his name, I don't get excited. His art his work I, and I've given him a pick leak before. It's not impossible. I, I tried to take everybody, you know, a face value for, when I read the book. But it just you know, overall doesn't really do anything for me. And this felt kinda like, okay, this was fine. It was a good comic. It just didn't do anything really to interest me other than to make me ask a lot of questions about Scarlet Witch. But I don't know.
0: I think it was fine. Yeah. I, I like, I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was fine. I wasn't terribly, I, I starting a little shop seems weird to, for her to me. Like, I don't know. I just like, I don't, I don't know that I buy this basic premise. Like it was like, I'm going to start an Etsy page. Okay. You know, like it, it, it it's weird. Like she's bigger than that. She's great, but I guess she's moving down. I don't know. I, I just. What do you guys didn't... think of the the last page reveal? I don't remember it. I'm gonna go look it, at it now. It's Viv Vision's daughter. Oh, oh, right. Ah, I mean that's that's probably where you should go. You know, like like there's a connection there. It wasn't obvious to me right at first, and I was like, all oh, right, Vision, and I don't even know where Vision is. Right? Where is Vision? Does he exist? Is he dead?
1: a good question. Marvel? I do not have an answer for you.
0: I don't know that we've seen him since Tom King's Vision story.
2: I think we have. I just don't know where. I haven't.
0: <laughs> like, like she's been, like, Viv has been around a lot, but I also don't know what happened to her.
2: Yeah, she, she's been, she was in that that book, that, well, the teen, the, yeah. the, the annoying teen superhero book.
0: You, you, I feel like you need to know that. I think you need to know more than I know to appreciate that. Like I had to think about it and I was like, all right, there's a connection there and it makes sense, but uh, they're going to have to do some explaining next issue, which is really the big question we have here today, by the way.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, the other thing is like, I don't know who, (laughs) I clearly don't know Scarlet Witches anymore because the cover of the, of the issue is the traditional Scarlet Witch. And then they turn the page and she's very dark skinned. And was As confused. is Pietro.
1: Yeah, they make them noticeably more ethnic in this book, which I don't have a problem with on a surface. I just, it also, it does, like you said, Connor, it confuses the issue of like, okay, well, how is this the same character we've been reading this whole time?
2: Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I know it's not true anymore. In my mind, she's, she's Magneto's daughter and she's Eastern European Jewish, but now she's, I guess, not anymore. But it just confused me, that's all. I don't know, probably the way. I was just like, wait, who is this? Because I didn't know who the person was on the first page. Because if you look, if you go from cover to first page, they're totally different looking people. So I was like, so who's this? And then are like, it's Scarlet Witch. I was like, wait, what? And then Pet- Pietro shows up, and he's, his skin tone is super contrasted to his costume. And I was like, what is happening? Because I just don't, I guess they're different now. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought they were so Magneto's kids.
0: I think that at some point they said well, that doesn't make sense, so they changed it. And now what is doesn't make sense either.
1: Yeah, but eventually they're gonna go back and say, Oh, they really were Magneto's kids. Once, sure they are. Once there are once there are mutants in the MCU, I guarantee we're gonna find out that they were Magneto's kids all along.
2: Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting, because they they usually try to match the MCU, and so I was like, What? What? But whatever. It was it, was, it just that just kept threw me off. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. I clearly don't know Scarlet Witch, anymore. and this is not how she's portrayed in the other books, so that was also confusing. Yeah, it's not the book's fault. That's not the book's fault necessarily. Well, kind of is, but not. You know, this was fine. Yeah, this was fine. I agree. How are you going to read like
0: anymore? Yeah, the costume is cool. Maybe, maybe. Like, I think there's a chance here that this could be. A better
2: book. Are you more interested to read it if it has a miniseries versus an ongoing, or does it matter? It doesn't really matter. Either either way, it doesn't it matter to me either. I'd read it as long a- as I was
0: interested in it.
1: I think this is a next issue make or break for me. If if the Viv stuff, if the vision connection becomes interesting, I will keep going with it. Otherwise, it'll probably drop off.
2: I mean, you know, her her, her history with kids is not, you know, it's probably so it's that a real, could be an a real interesting story. Of madness. Yeah, That's what I hear. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think it's a game time decision with another read issue too. Let's rate the book. So that's our sticking with it part, which we've been we've been falling off of lately, but we're not sure. Let's rate the book. Ratings. Scarlet Wish number one out of five. I'm giving it a three. Three.
1: I'm giving it a three point two five for Sarah Pacelli's art and the muscle daughterman redesign. Fair.
2: Alright. So there you go. There's your patron pick. Scarlet Witch number one. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. All patrons will try to go to the rundown. And the patrons are the, are the ones who support the show directly. There's lots of people who support the show, but they are the ones who who say, you know what? I like this show. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, kick in and help it keep going. We well, thank you for that. Uh, they get to be part of a great community. We hope uh, there's a Discord server that we we spend time on. That's fun. I think there's still a Facebook group, and we hope to make it fun for everyone. And to that to that end. We spent some time over the break, as we've been talking about for a while, to revamp the patron goals, the stretch goals. You know the things that the patrons get, but also you, the listener, who's not a patron, get for you know when we hit certain numbers. We spent a lot of time revamping them and going through what was feasible and possible and fun. And we announced it, and then we found out that Patreon is getting rid of stretch goals. So um, what that means. We will figure it out. Maybe we'll keep them as an unofficial stretch goals that aren't on the patron page. We don't know. We're going to we're gonna now figure that out to take a step back and see what they're going to replace stretch goals with because that seems dumb. But I'm not in charge. And that was part one of the patron revamp. Part two is actually more in-depth and will be coming soon. It just requires some more work on our part to get it ready. But that part one of the patron revamp was revealed to the patrons this past week. Part two is coming hopefully the next week or two. Hopefully, no more than two weeks. Just, just You'll see when, when we re- reveal it why it was uh, work involved. But hopefully, it makes uh, the patrons excited. Hopefully, it entices you to perhaps consider being a patron. But uh, you know, we appreciate anyone who supports the show in any way they can, including buying t-shirts at fmo.threadless.com. We have our 12 shirts there. fmo.com slash support is our digital tip jar. fmo.com slash Amazon is our link to find the Booksblood books and booksblood.org is our partner for uh, you'll see sometimes links on the website for those books that help support local bookstores and we thank everyone who supports the show in any way that they can so speaking of patrons if you give the five dollar high level you have a patron who gives at that level we give you as a reward a dumb superpower live in the show and i need to mention that while i was doing the ad read previous to that uh, josh had an emergency and had to uh, leave so it's just Ryan and I now for the rest of the show. Um,
1: Josh is he's you know, wearing a gag over in the corner. Quiet, 20, Josh.
2: 2023 has, is throwing curveballs left and right. So uh, let's keep going, Ryan. Why don't you tell this patron what their power is?
1: The patron, Moni Singh. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that name right. Uh, my phone autocorrected to a Patron power, Connor. So this oh, is a... sweet. Tequila-based. Yeah, Tequila-based <laughs> Tequila power. Moni can know or predict the future of any animal she encounters, but she obviously can't communicate it to that animal because animals don't, can't like, unless it's, like, one of those gorillas who knows sign language, there's no mm-hmm. way for them to tell the animal what's coming. So it's sort of a Cassandra, huh? sort of a Cassandra uh, a tragedy power of just, like, they always know what's going to happen to any animal they encounter, they just can't tell them. They can tell them. but the right, they don't happening. understand. Yeah. Like, driving past a deer on the side of the road, they're going to say, hey, 10 minutes from now, don't try to run across the road.
2: Oh, wow. That's sad for her. that. It's sad for Mona. It's a lot of uh, emotional but she goes to, anxiety. But she goes to the
1: shelter, and she she gets to, she gets to see the future of all these animals adopted by wonderful people who go to adopt animals from shelters.
2: Unless they don't get adopted.
1: Well, that's the risk. Of,
2: right, that's what I'm saying so it could be a sad power for her or him. Could or, be. Yeah. Uh,
1: but I thought I thought it was an, imp- an important power to have in our arsenal of many powers.
2: So animal futures.
1: Animal predicting the future of any animal encountered.
2: Or it's not predicting, it's knowing the future.
1: It's knowing the future, but yeah. They're they're always correct.
2: Right. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Thanks for being a patron, Moni. Uh, Let's wrap the show.
1: You don't want to do the second question? I have thoughts. We got time now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess we can. All right, so we'll do one email. One email. Aaron T. from England at the moment. Aaron says... My fiancé often has me talk about the origin story of superheroes to help her fall asleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. The other night, I was talking about the X-Men Cyclops and describing his power. I'm sorry. The other night, I was talking about the X-Man Cyclops. That's a weird...
1: X-Man's a different character. Right. He is the leader of the X-Men Cyclops. I think
2: He's talking about Cyclops and describing his power. She wondered if he has trouble in everyday life. How does he shower? Does he have to wear the shades in there? What happens if he has an eye appointment? Does he sleep with the shades on? What do you think Scott Summers' everyday life is like? I mean, yeah, it's tough. tough. His life is tough. I I think the shower thing is not that difficult, though.
1: Just keeps his eyes closed.
2: Well, he's like anyone with contact lenses has to do that anyway. It's not weird or unusual to have to shower with your eyes closed. Or he's got,
1: you know, or he's got Ruby Quartz, like swimming goggles that he can put on. Right,
2: that was actually, that was exactly what I thought. I thought it's not so hard for Forge to... You know, get some get some ruby quartz goggles. I actually had the exact right. same thought.
1: Or, or he's got a ruby quartz sleep mask.
2: He has, you know, sunglasses. He has his visor. He has he has those things for all kinds of occasions. So it wouldn't be out of the realm to have a swimming goggles. But also, you know, if you wear a contacts and go to the gym and shower afterwards, you are doing it so with your eyes shut.
1: A question I've always had about Scott Summers, and if if I know I'm in Ron Memor- Ron Richards' memorial chair, but I'm not the mm-hmm. X Men expert that he sure. is. Is the power like is the is the pulsing power of the concussive blast? Is it like constantly trying to force his eyes open, or when he has his eyes closed, no. is it easy to keep them closed? That it is for you and I.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's just it's 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 not it's not like he's fighting it all the time. That'd be a totally yeah. different. Yeah, I think
1: I think that makes his life livable because like you know there are plenty of people who have low vision or are blind who get around just fine. Yeah. If anything, you read stories about blind people interacting in um, everyday life, and like a thing that's a problem for them is because blind people tend to be like very functional in the world because you have to be to function that's kind of it's a tautology, but a, a true one people often suspect that they're not really blind and try to trick right. them right and so like that's a huge issue for actual blind people and like he basically has like sort of facultative blindness where he has to be blind sometimes to function but i'm sure he's figured out how to he's figured out all his tricks and tips for how to make that work for him
2: i think that i i would say oh that's it's dangerous to sleep you know without, without. the visor and and you risk opening your eyes in the middle of the night, which, which which we've seen in stories where he's been like, he's been like shaken awake or, or something and he starts blasting the, the X mansion. That's definitely yeah. something we've seen. But I would think a guy like Scott would be so disciplined mm-hmm. that he would, would not, he would not involuntarily open his eyes. You know, he would, it's just something he's been doing his whole life almost. And so he would be so, uh, he would mentally strong about opening his eyes when he shouldn't. And so I think he's just, he's, he's, he's very disciplined he either has the forge goggles or he just keeps his eyes shut in the shower um another situations he's just got he's always got his glasses in some situation, yeah
1: and I think another thing is my interpretation of the comics is the visor that he wears in combat is the best in terms of protecting his face, like if he gets punched, the visor's not going to fall off, but it's also the least comfortable for him to wear sure like it's the best it's the best for fighting, but it's not it's not the thing he wants to wear all the time. Whereas the glasses offer a lower level of protection, but they're more comfortable for him, so he can get around in daily life better. Right, that's, he, that's always been my read of it.
2: Those can get knocked off easily, but he can walk around. How often are you getting punched in the face when you're just walking around? It's the...
1: depends if you're Johnny Storm, I guess. I guess. Uh, <laughs> and and the other the other question, the reason I actually have been thinking about Cyclops' powers is, um, you know, with Josh's descent into Marvel Snap, I've been playing this uh, older little match three game called Marvel Puzzle Quest, and I unlocked the isn't Age that just
2: of, isn't that just Candy Crush?
1: Yeah, but it's but it's Marvel, so I okay. get to do it with like I get to do it with Spider Man. Right. Um, so I unlocked the Age of Apocalypse costume for my Cyclops character, mm-hmm. and in that he only has one eye because his eye was take, the other eye was slashed out by Wolverine. And so my question there is: Does that mean he's half as powerful?
2: Good question. That is a very good question. I don't know the answer. You would assume so, but maybe not. I don't know.
1: But he's actually a Cyclops now,
2: right? I don't know. I don't That's know good. either.
1: Like, is like, how powerful are the concussive blasts? If he only opens one eye, is it half as powerful as if he opens both eyes?
2: Good point. Good question. We'll never now, know. Now, the other
1: question is, what do we think about Aaron and his relationship here? If if telling his fiance about, like... Sounds this, like a good if, one. You think? I yeah, don't know. I
2: mean, she's she's uh, interested enough in his interests, but also... No, she's reco- not.
1: She wants to fall asleep, but she tells him, like, tell me that boring comic shit, and I'll well, fall asleep to it.
2: But recognizes that that, you know, perhaps the 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 intricate discussion of an origin story maybe maybe put her to sleep you know maybe any story will put her to sleep but she often she chooses to have him talk about his what he's into
1: okay well i i hope i hope it's yeah I hope sounds it's good to a, me cool sounds place. like a strong one all right good i'm glad you have an optimistic agree yeah on. i i just i worry if, if she's that bored by by scott summers and all the trials and tribulations he's gone through in his life
2: listen i like this stuff but i think maybe that would put me to sleep too
1: okay you know well. Aaron, I hope it. I hope it keeps working out, buddy.
2: Any story told well in a certain tone will make people sleepy. There's a lot
1: going on in this email. The England at the moment suggests something exciting is about to happen. <laughs> well,
2: Just I think I, I, Aaron, Aaron's Aaron's written us for many, many years. I think before he was in France, if I recall, but I don't remember exactly. But Aaron wrote in at contactatfanboy Thanks for writing in. We got a bunch of you know. We we, we talked about last in the last episode. At the end of the year, we put all of our emails into bankruptcy, so all those 2022 emails are now in a folder, except for the ones people wrote us after the show came out over the holiday break. We kept those.
1: Oh, you big softy!
2: So we have a couple from the break, and we've had a, we've had a bunch this week. So uh, thanks for writing in. We're excited to do the emails as always. So contact@fanboy.com. So now we're in a new month. This is January. We'll have some new shows for you this week, this month, including the regular show. There will be a booksploade this month. The Booksplode that we planned to do is probably not going to be happening just because it's too long to get done in time because we, we just didn't read in, uh, over the break. So uh, we'll have to change up, to pick a shorter book to kick off Booksplode. with we'll and go back to that one next. So can't announce it yet only because Josh and I have not come to consensus. I pitched one. He didn't respond. He pitched one back to me. I said, I said well, I guess he doesn't want to do the other one. So we'll have to figure that out. There will be Booksplode, though. There will also be a explode. Later this month, in which we'll talk about the, the things that we watched over the break, the shows and the movies and uh, that kind of thing. And then, Ryan, your sh- is your show still happening? Still going on? Yeah, there'll
1: school? be a new, there'll be a new episode up by the time this episode comes up. And if people liked the pick of the week that I picked this week, uh, they will want to go listen to that episode because it may feature a certain Ryan of the North. I'll say.
2: Oh well, why don't you just say it? Then people will know, and then they'll go.
1: Ryan North's on the show. He had, okay. a new, he, had a, he had a book come out last year, and uh, he and he's a. a some, you know, casual acquaintance and uh, another one of my co-hosts, Ben Tippett, is a friend of his. Um, if you read Squirrel Girl, Squir- Squirrel Girl at one point goes to college and has a physics professor. And my buddy Ben Tippett is that physics professor. And so mm. we had Ryan North on the show to talk about his new book.
2: And there you go. So of science-sortive at of com
1: is where you can find it sh- and anywhere you find your podcasts, probably.
2: Just like you can find all of our shows. We've had over 1,200 of them. They're all over at ifanboy.com. You can get them there or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us at iFanboyComics on Instagram. That's where you can find out what the pick week is before the show comes out. And sometimes it's the best week in panels we do on there. And individually, uh, we are J.A. Flanagan for Josh on Instagram. I am CS Kilpatrick. Ryan is Ryan Haupt on Instagram. And uh, that's where you can find iFanboy stuff. You can subscribe to YouTube.com slash iFanboy. You'll find all of our old video shows. And we post this show over there every week. And please consider leaving a review or writing li- writing a review or leaving a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that. And that's it. We're back. This is our 18th year in the books. Show number one. This is it. We've returned to the fold.
1: Happy to be here.
2: That was fun. I enjoyed that. I've missed the show. I've missed talking to you guys about comics. Um. Did you read all your, com- I mean, I read all my comics over the break. I know for sure Josh didn't. Did you read your comics
1: over I there? did not, no. I was. Yeah. I I had too much travel going on over that. And a lot of that, a lot of those travel preparations were it was either me behind the wheel or me dealing with the toddler. So <laughs> there wasn't like, I couldn't just sit on the plane and catch up on my stack.
2: So. Oh, I, I I didn't say it was easy. Like the first week, the very first week, I read them all the first week. Like it was, it was also a really light week. It was like, I had 10 books. I read them all that week. Like, this is great. I'm on schedule. Uh after that, I fell off. I, I, I don't think I read anything the next two weeks. And then I spent the last week uh, feverishly catching up because I didn't want to fall behind uh, and do the show. i have to do twice as many books in a week. So I got them all done. But I think I got them all done as of like three days ago.
1: I will tell the publishers that I was very grateful for a light week this week. That, that this week was a <laughs> light week.
2: The week the week we stopped was light week. But then the two weeks in the middle were not light week. So there was a lot of books to read. But uh, some good stuff in there. I enjoyed it. Anyway, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. I am Connor.
1: I'm Ryan.
0: (laughs) I'm speaking to you from beyond the podcast. Thank you for listening.
2: And that was Josh, and we'll see you next week.